Mark chapter 8, 34 through 35. I love how clear Jesus makes discipleship. He says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower... Look, I am, I am a big fan of leadership. I'm a student of leadership. I love John Maxwell. But nowhere in scripture do you see Jesus say, he who wants to be my leader. Jesus says, who wants to be my follower? He doesn't say, who wants to be my president? Who wants to be my CEO? Who wants to be my CFO? If you want to be my lead pastor, no. He said, if you want to be my follower, if you can't walk in followership, you'll never walk in great leadership. Narcissistic, arrogant, egomaniac leaders are ones who put leadership before their followership. They're in charge. They call the shots. They're the boss. You don't argue with them. And they get to do that because they're followers of Jesus. No. Jesus is in charge, Jesus calls the shots, Jesus is the one leading, and we follow him, and then we invite others to follow me as I follow Christ, like the Apostle Paul said, right? If you can't figure out followership, you will never figure out leadership. If you can't figure out what it means to submit and follow, if you can't figure out how to do, this is exactly what Jesus is saying, if any of you wants to be my follower. That's what we are. You may be one of the top leaders in the room, but you're still a follower. You have to be a follower. And the only way you grow in great leadership is to be a follower. And the only way that you'll develop an intimacy with God is if you embrace followership. Followership leads to leadership. It says you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. The most common name Jesus attributes to people who believe in him are followers. He says, you have become my follower. You are my follower. If you desire to be my follower. The apostle Paul takes this followership and he expands on it into a journey. He gives a, a mental picture of what his idea of discipleship or becoming like Christ is like. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. He is talking about spiritual righteousness. And he says, we should run. We should journey. We should run in a way that we're trying to win at this, right? You're not trying to coast by. You're not trying to check a box. You're trying to win spiritually. Hebrews 12 verse 1, the pastor says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance, the race God has set before us. You see the imagery, right? Jesus invites us into a journey of followership. The apostle Paul expands on this journey using the metaphor of a race. Second Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Philippians 2 verse 16, hold firmly to my word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. 
You see that in Scripture. Jesus invites us into followership. Paul invites us on a journey. He invites us on a race, a race of endurance to walk in relationship with God. Here's what we're doing with Discipleship Pathway. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to you in the form of illustration. I don't know how many husbands are, are like this when you're driving and your wife wants you to go somewhere. Anna, the other day, we were in the car and she said, hey, I, I want you to go to this place. I've got to pick something up. And I said, okay, what's the address? She said, oh, I can tell you how to get there. You already know, veteran, veteran merit, you're like, oh no, I already know where this is headed. So I'm like, no, just, just give me the address. And she's like, why? We don't need a GPS, I know where I'm going. She's like, just, just go down a little further. So I'm going, and she's like, okay, I think, I think you're, like, uh, you're gonna go right up here. Go, and I started, no, 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 not that one. And I'm like, what? And she's like, no, the next one. And so I turned right at the next one, and then she's like, okay, so I think there's a stop sign down here, and I, th- and I said, give me the location. Just give me the address, and and it's back and forth, right? But if I had the address, I could figure out the route to get there, right? That's what we're talking about when it comes to discipleship pathway. We don't want you to walk in here and us just be like, oh, start doing this. Oh, take this turn. Oh, take this turn. Oh, take this turn. No, discipleship pathway is designed to give you the location. And then you'll be able to figure out the journey to get there, okay? So then you'll be able to figure out what stops you need to make, what turns you need to make, and what direction you need to head to get there. I I met with a awesome couple who recently started coming to our church, and he just became a believer. And we sat down in my office, and he he looked at me, and I thought it was a perfect question to intro what we're talking about. He said, okay, I, I, I came into church, I experienced the presence of God, I gave my heart to Jesus, now what? Now what do I do next? Discipleship pathway. That's exactly why we're covering this. And not only covering this, but this will be, become ingrained into the way we do ministry. Number one, the first thing. Jan, did you have that graphic? Did you, can you throw that up there? Um, yes, and here is, just so you can see it, you can write these down, you can memorize this. This is our discipleship pathway. Meet with God daily, gather together weekly, live in community, pursue the mission of Jesus together. What does it mean to be a disciple? Our leadership pipeline is going to be the outworkings of this. So I know what I need to do. Now, what kind of person do I become to live those out? And we'll share that with you next week, right? But here is the discipleship pathway. We want to, this is what all of us long to do as followers of Jesus. We want to meet with God daily. We want to gather together weekly. We want to live in community and pursue the mission of Jesus together. Okay, first one, meet with God daily. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. I love Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then, you know, there is this, there's this Greek word called metamorpho that Paul begins to use. Uh, let me give you a quick little lesson here on discipleship versus Pauline theology. Okay, I think this is super interesting. Sorry if I bore you. It'll only be two minutes. Uh, if you read Matthew through half the book of Acts, okay? Uh, I, I consider those five gospels. Acts is really just kind of the outpouring of all the gospels. It's a, it's a harmony of them. But if you read Matthew through John 
and then you read halfway through the book of Acts, you're going to see a common word occur. It's called methedes. It's the Greek word for disciple, right? So over and over and over, you see the gospel writers use the word disciple. You see uh, little spritz of it from Luke in the book of Acts. About Acts 17 or 18, I can't remember which one, it cuts off. And from Acts 18 throughout the rest of scripture, you never see or hear the word disciple again. Paul never uses the word Methedes in any of his writings. Instead, 167 times the apostle Paul says, in Christ. In other words, Paul is taking discipleship, what it means to become a disciple, and he's expanding on it to the church, giving them an illustration of being in Christ, okay? So Paul is saying, in other words, being a disciple is learning how to be in Christ, if you were to take the Gospels and compare them to Pauline theology, right? In the midst of all of that, Paul uses a Greek word called metamorpho. I'll read it to you a couple times. It's in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform, metamorpho, you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. They attributed the same word to Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 2. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, metamorpho, so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 8, Paul says, so all of us, who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him. Metamorpho. He makes us more and more. He metamorphoses us into, so that we are changed into his glorious image. In other words, there is this process that takes place where you begin to become a disciple by moving into Christ. And in Christ, that is the cocoon of metamorphosis that begins to take place in your life. And you begin to transform so that you become somebody who reflects the glory and reflects the love of Jesus just as Jesus did in Matthew chapter 17. The Greek word metamorphosis is where we get the English metamorphosis from. It's the term we use most commonly to talk about larva to butterfly. It is the, the transformation that happens in somebody's life. Paul is using this as an illustration of what it means when we are in Christ, what happens to us. Now listen to me. That can only happen if you are in Christ. If you are in relationship with Christ, if you are meeting with Christ, if you are praying, if you are spending time in worship, if you are spending time, what did Joshua say? In this book, day and night, and meditating on it, it is the process of metamorphosis that takes place, but you've got to meet with God to do it. The greatest growth you are going to experience is going to be in your daily encounters with God or lack thereof. The biggest gap you will have spiritually is if you're not taking time to meet with 
God. I, I have a friend who I have the liberty to share this with you. We laugh about it now, and he's really turned his marriage around, and he's got more kids, so something's working right, right? And he's just, everything's going great for him. But uh, early on in his marriage, he called me, and he was like, bro, I need, you, I need a pastor right now. I was like, okay, let's, let's meet. We sit down for lunch, and he said, man, my marriage is in trouble. And I said, okay, what's, talk, tell me a little more. He said, man, I don't get it. First mistake, right? I, I don't get it, bro. He's like, I, I just bought her a new car. I let her, she shops and buys whatever she wants. The kids are all in private school and they're taken care of. They're, our house is beautiful. I just remodeled the kitchen. He said, dude, he said, I made over 300 grand last year. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with her. I'll marry you. Like, what? Well, <laughs> And I said, okay, well, it's not adding up. What's going on? And he said, man, she's only mad about one thing. I said, what? He said, well, last year I spent 319 days offshore. <laughs> you think? He's like, what's wrong with that? I'm like, dude, I'm no mathematician, but I think that means you spent 46 days at home. He was like, but look at what all they got. Look at what, and I said, it, it, it doesn't matter what you give them if you're not there. Like, dude, you gotta be there. Your kids don't want nice clothes in private school, they want dad. They want you in the middle of their life. Mama don't want a new Tahoe. Maybe mama wants a new Tahoe. But mama don't want a new Tahoe more than she wants you present and loving and gracious and merciful and caring in her life. That's what we long for. Listen, you can, you, what, what does scripture say? You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. You can accumulate everything. You can be an unbelievable businessman. You can work 365 days offshore and clip seven figures and everything else and still lose what's right here, we have to learn this discipline as believers of meeting with God daily. If we will spend time with him daily, he will metamorpho us into Christ so that we can become Christ to other people. You're not going to grow deeper with Jesus if you don't meet with him. And Sunday, you got to be deeper than Sunday morning. Have to be deeper than Sunday morning. This is celebration. This is not discipleship. This should be celebration. We should be coming together, celebrating what God's doing throughout the week, worshiping together, encouraging each other. We're gonna talk about that and gather together weekly, but this should not be the sole sum of your discipleship. If it is, big holes. Six of them, Monday through Saturday. So we figure out how to meet with God daily. Resources, has all kinds of resources for this. Our website does. We've created Daily Presence as a guide to help you walk in your relationship with Jesus. We've got multiple Bible plans on the YouVersion app. We've got 365 days of devotions accompanied with a reading plan on the app. We've got prayers that are posted every single day to our website. We want to and we will resource you and we are here to see you meet with God daily. It is the topic of my dissertation. What is the relationship between spiritual growth and a daily meeting with God? And I am telling you, it is conclusive. 87% so. Those who meet with God daily experience 87% more spiritual growth than those that don't. 
it's almost 100. It's almost like the sole sum of, uh, of spiritual growth occurs. It's a total The sole sum of spiritual growth occurs in our daily meetings with God. That's number one in the discipleship pathway. If you're here and you're saying, what's next? Start with meeting with God daily. Number two, gather together weekly. That is what we do on Sunday mornings. Romans 1, 11 through 12, Paul says, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Now, listen, what book is this? This is the book of Romans. We just spent 12 weeks studying the book of Romans. Paul had yet to visit Rome when he wrote the book of Romans. And what does he say? He writes a theological masterpiece. If you were here for those 12 weeks, I mean by far one of the richest, deepest, hardest hitting books in the Bible and Paul presents them with this incredible letter and yet at the very beginning he says, I'm gonna give you theological gold but I'd rather be with you. I'm gonna give you the best of the best but I'd rather be in physical presence. If we continue on, 2 John verse 12 says, I have much more to say to you but I don't want to do it with paper and ink for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face, then our joy will be complete. There is a completion of joy when we are together. There are, as Paul said, I long to be with you. There are things that we exchange in physical presence that you cannot exchange online. There are things that we exchange in physical presence that you cannot exchange on YouTube. If you see Hebrews 10 verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There is something that happens when we gather together in here that cannot happen out there. There is a physical presence and there's a manifestation of spirit and there is a mutual encouragement, there is a mutual uplifting that happens in here that we cannot experience on our own. Anna is due with baby number four. Here we go, right? Um, and she's due four days after my graduation, right? fun conversation in the house. Really fun. Uh, so we were talking and I was just, I was joking with her and I said, um, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to my graduation. I'll come right back. Okay. And she was like, all of our babies have been early. Most all of them. Right. Um, except for Zadok. The first two were early. And she's like, no, honey. She's like, I go early. Like you, you, you what, are you, what are you saying? Like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I've already, I've already booked the tickets. I'm just messing around at this point, right? I'm just trying to see what you do. I'm like, oh, I've already, I've already booked. I'm headed to graduation. I promise it'll be a turnaround, 24-hour turnaround. And she said, well, what if I go into labor? And I said, oh, babe, it's number four. I'll, I'll FaceTime you. It'll be great. <laughs> that, was, that was the one, right? The joke ended after that comment. I was like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I told her, and she, she looked at me and was like, you're crazy, right? You're, you're literally joking. Yeah, but, but why? Why is that crazy? Because being online and FaceTime is not the same as being in there in person. If it would, it would be the same. 
If it would, it would be like, oh yeah, sure, just FaceTime in. You'll, you'll see him. It'll be great. No, because when you're there, it's different than when you just see it, right? Something happens when you're there. There's a connection that's created. That's what gathering together as a church is meant to be. Now, if you're watching online and you haven't shut this off yet, let me just tell you, I love church online, I really do. I love church online and here's why I love church online. Because if you're out of town, if we're right in the middle of a season and you wanna catch up, if you uh, are somewhere where you're not in proximity to a church that you feel led to attend or something like that, online is great. Church online is great. Here's all that I would say. Don't let church online be your only church. Don't let church online be, it's not a substitute, it's a supplement. You get that, right? It's not a substitute, it's a supplement. Church online is a supplement. If you're out or you need a quick meal and you're not able to make it or you're traveling or something like that, you can jump in, church online, we're here. But don't let church online be your only church. The gathered church, it's so unique. It is, as we talk about the branch to the vine, the flock of the shepherd, the cornerstone that all of the living stones are built on, it's the gathered church. It is in the context of the gathered church where we learn who we are, what we're supposed to do, and how we're to worship. When we gather together, we are learning who we are, we are learning what we're supposed to do, and we are learning how to worship together. I think this is a really interesting passage, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is giving instruction on church discipline, but even bigger than that, he is painting the picture of how the gathered church operates. Listen to this, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. He didn't say post it to social media, right? He didn't say text all your friends and tell them, right? No, he said go straight to him, point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses to it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat them as a person, or treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Here, here's what Jesus first gave. He said, there is, a, there is a code of judgment that we live by in the church. There is things that we agree on. There are things that we come to terms with. There is a code of conduct, and when we agree to that code of conduct, Here's what happens. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth, you will forbid in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. He says, if you live according to these judgments, you will bring heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do, right? To live according to what God says. And, in, and because of that, we bring heaven to earth. And here is his promise. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am among, I am, I am there among them. What he is saying is this, there's a series of judgments, and if you live according to those series of judgments, you will create a culture that represents heaven on earth. And if you create a culture that represents heaven on earth, I will be there which means he's here, 
which means he's in this room. And how do we keep him in this room? We live according to the judgments that he's given us so that we can be a people that brings heaven to earth and he can rest and indwell or be enthroned on the praises of his people. I, I hear this phraseology a lot and it's, it's not wrong, but I always hear the church's people, the church's people, the church's people, the church's people, the church's people. I mean, I 100% agree, right? We don't own a building. The church is us, but the church is people gathered. Understand that. The church is people gathered. Christians are individuals. The church is the Christians gathered. That is who we become, is a united, living body together. It's like saying, I play basketball, so I'm on the basketball team. No, you can play basketball and never be on a team, right? You can be a Christian and never be a part of the church. But being a part of the church is gathering together with Christians to create a culture where God's presence can dwell. Okay, number three, right? Live in community. Oh, man, I got to go. <laughs> Thank you, Tabitha. I know you're not a football fan, though. You already told me. So, First <laughs> Thessalonians 2, verse 8. We love you so much. Listen to Paul here. And... and Trust me, this is coming from an introvert. I am introverted by nature. Believe it or not, crowds don't energize me. I will leave here, go sit in my truck, absolutely crash until I get a nitro cold brew, and then I'll wake up a little bit again, but I'll be exhausted. I am very, very good being on my own. I am great being alone. I could spend hours alone and be perfectly okay, right? Um, but Listen to what Paul says. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting or gathering together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, he says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with Everyone, depending on who you ask or what textbook you read, there's between 60 and 70 one another's in scripture, okay? Um, and and it, is, it is these. I'm gonna read them all to you. I've got a list of them. Uh, here they are. Scripture commands us to love one another, honor one another, greet one another, welcome one another, show hospitality to one another, have fellowship with one another, agree to peace with one another, live in harmony with one another, be at peace with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, bear one another's burdens, comfort one another, care for one another, confess sins to one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up, exhort one another, instruct one another, teach and admonish one another, sing, and, sing with one another, stir, up, uh, stir one another up to love and good works, do good to one another, serve one another, wash one another's feet, wait for one another, be humble toward one another, submit to one another, speak the truth to one another, do not speak against one another, do not judge one another, do not provoke one another, do not envy one another. Hear me, scripture's given us 67 commands of one another's that we are supposed to practice in community as believers. Listen to me, you can't practice the one another's if you're not in relationship. 
You can't, you can't practice, you can't practice your faith, essentially, if you're not living in Christian community and you're not living in, in relationship where you can love one another, you can serve one another, you can encourage one another, you can admonish one another. And I'm talking to myself here. I am not one who's running around trying to become friends with everybody. Sorry if you've thought I'm, unfri I'm unfriendly. I love you, but I do. But yet there is something in me where I hear the Lord saying, you have to walk in relationship. You have to walk in relationship so others can love you and you can love others and others can know you and you can know others and others can serve you and you can serve others. It ha there, there is a communal, relational aspect to our faith that cannot be neglected. Isolation is not healthy spiritual growth. My son, for Christmas, he got a pickleball set. If you remember Christmas, it was cold, very, very cold on Christmas Day, and it's one of those gifts. I mean, you know how this goes. Opens it up, and it, Dad, you want, Dad, I got a pickleball set. Dad, let's go play pickleball. Dad, you want to play pickleball? Dad, can we play pickleball yet? Hey, Dad, can we go to play pickleball? I'm like, dude, just like five minutes, and we'll, we'll check the weather out. Dad, Dad, Dad. I mean, 100 times he asked me to play pickleball. All of a sudden, he disappeared. What in the world is going on now? And then I hear upstairs, I hear ping, clink, clink, clink. Ping, clink, clink, clink. Ping. And I'm like, what is he doing? I go upstairs, he's in his bedroom, he's got his pickleball and his racket, and he's ripping it to one side of his room, and then he's running over, he's jumping over his bed, and he's trying to hit it back over the other side, and he's trying to hit, and I said, son, what are you doing? He said, dad, I'm trying to play pickleball. I said, dude, you, you can't play pickleball alone. Like, it's a sport you have to have somebody else with you. you. You can't live this life of faith alone. You really can't. You're not meant to, you're not called to, you're not created to, you are created to live and breathe and function in the one another's together in Christian community. Two of the big ways that we form community are one, groups, dinner parties, summer activities, serving on teams, all of the ways that you can get involved and grow relationally with people. I tell people the greatest relationships that have been formed in our church over the last five years have been people who serve on teams together have been people who volunteer together, they serve together, people who didn't even know each other before we started the church are best friends now and they're hanging out and they're laughing, they're enjoying life together. However you see fit, don't neglect your community. Don't neglect what God has called you to form around you, just as Jesus had the disciples. He had a small group around him. We're to have a small group around us. Okay, lastly we finish. Pursue the mission of Jesus together. Last part of our discipleship pathway. What does it mean? We're going to pursue the mission of Jesus together. John 17, 14 through 18. It says, I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. This is Jesus speaking to his father. This is so interesting to think about that Jesus is in this conversation. In verse 15, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. The goal is for you to not get out of here, right? That'll be the result. We'll be with him, that will be the result. But the goal is not for you to get out of here as fast as you can. It's all going to hell in a handbasket and inflation and this, that, and the other. No, God wants you here. He needs you here. 
right? And so what does he say? I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. In other words, we become the sent ones of God. What does it mean to pursue the mission of Jesus? It means that this is your sending place, not your sitting place. This is the place you are sent from. This is not the room you sit in on Sunday mornings. It means you walk out of here and you are sent by God to be his beacon of light in whatever place that he has given you. I always push back when I hear people talk to me uh, negatively about Huntsville, right? whether it's, uh, man, I'm here for school, but I hate this place and I'm out of here. Or, man, we don't have a steakhouse and I'm going here and blah, 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 blah. And it just, man, I said, but listen, if God has you here now, this is your mission field. And I never heard Jesus walking around talking bad about his mission field. I never heard Jesus walking around trashing his mission field. No, he found a way to enter in as a sent one and love the people and fulfill the mission of God that he had been called to. Um, Figured it would be appropriate to end with a night to shine story that that relates to us creating a culture of pursuing the mission together. we had on Friday, I was headed here and all of our staff and everyone were working on making the event happen and the church got a phone call and it was from a mom and she was checking to see if she would be in time to, to pick up her daughter who lived like close to Pearl Land and drive her all the way out here to our night to shine prom. And so uh, I called her on my way here and I said, hey, heard you, heard, heard you want to bring your daughter? And she's like, yes, can I? And I'm like, please, like, yes, bring bring her. We want her here. Tell me about your daughter. And she said, well, she said, I'm a single mom. She said, at 14, my daughter had a brain tumor. They discovered a brain tumor. And so they went in and they operated on the brain tumor. And then she underwent radiation for a a number of months. And afterwards, she just, she lost full function of her pituitary gland and her, her function and her interaction, her speech, everything uh, just went completely downhill. And she said, so uh, now my girl lives in a nursing home. And she said, she doesn't belong in a nursing home, but uh, I, I, I have her there because I tried to get her a place on her own, but she, she, can't, she can't live alone. She doesn't belong alone. She doesn't belong in the nursing home. And she said, you know, I guess I'm just trying to find a place for my daughter to belong. And I told her, I said, tonight, your daughter will belong. Tonight, your daughter's gonna belong. Tonight, your daughter is going to enter into a place of grace and love and care and sensitivity and understanding where she is going to not only belong, she's gonna be the star of the show to watch her show up here. Mom said, I've I've driven by her house and I got the only dress I got for her. Brings her here, drops her off. She comes in here, dances the night away, goes wild on some Chick-fil-A, gets a limo ride, everything else. She found a space she could belong because the people of God pursued the mission of Jesus together. That is what we do. We create a place where people can belong. 
We create a place where people with special needs can belong. We create a place where nice people can belong, mean people can belong, sinners can belong, liars can belong, cheaters can belong. And we create a space so that they can enter into the process of metamorphosis, right? Of transformation. And we are witnessing and we are encouraging and we are loving them and we're teaching them to meet with God daily. We're inviting them to gather with us weekly. We're inviting them into community. And then we begin to pursue the mission of Jesus together. That is our mission, or that's our discipleship pathway as a church. If you're asking, what's next? Meet with God daily, gather together weekly, live in community, and let's pursue the mission of Jesus together. 